Chance the Rapper sued for three million buckaroos, and Spotify has found a way to make suing songwriters a bit easier. We stick around, we have a lot to talk about. Hello there and welcome to Music Industry City's Tuesday Talkies, where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, and joining to me today are my co-hosts, Sam Tall and The Duke. If there's something you'd like to chime in about, join us in the chat or let us hear your thoughts in the comments below. It's okay, you don't have to be shy. And we're also starting a new thing. We're trying it out. For everybody who comes in the stream a little later or something, uh, after we roll the end credits, after I say, hey, thanks, peace out, you know, and we're gonna roll the credits, stick around. The host, Dave, Sam, we're going to like hang out in the chat for a little bit. We're going to hear us talking about some things we're going to want to cover. It's kind of like the CNN tapes, but like not as cool, I guess. So, um, <clears throat> uh, but we'll also be able to answer your questions and everything. So uh, let's get right into what's going on today. Today's show, we're going to talk about Chance the Rapper. He's getting sued for $3 million by his ex-manager and Spotify has invented new technology to help prevent plagiarism. So we have a lot to cover and let's get to it. Uh, throughout the course of music business, we've heard numerous issues and lawsuits between artists and their managers. And the latest one coming to light is from Pat Corn, AKA Pat the Manager, against Chance the Rapper. In it, he claims he is owed $3 million in unpaid commissions on revenue from touring, streaming, album sales, and merchandise. The lawsuit also states, it, the lawsuit also states this. Compounding the issue, Bennett's recordings efforts were compromised by unproductive and undisciplined studio sessions, procrastination and lackadaisical effort perpetuated by various hanger-ons uninterested in the hard work of writing and recording resulted in a freestyle-driven product of subpar quality. That's a lot of syllables in there. And to, with his thoughts on this, we have Sam Tall. Sam, what's the good word? Hey, Peter. So this is an issue that's very dear to my heart as an artist manager uh, and somebody who's been uh, in the music industry city universe uh, talking about management issues and artist related things. Um, contracts, man, you got to have contracts. Did you see that like the in, like buried in the in the complaint that this was an oral uh, mm -hmm. agreement? Yep. Why? Why? Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, many managers, you know, may, might do like this kind of like one year development contract and then roll out or something like that. You know, want to test the waters because you have neither party really ha can predict the future. And this immediately brought me back to uh, the ho the big Hollywood oral agreement with it was Kim Basinger. It's like 1993. And she orally agreed to star in the movie called Boxing Helena. Uh, about a month prior to uh, the start of the film shooting, she backed out. They ended up, so she got sued for $8.1 million. And, you know, actually I, I pulled this up. So the jury's like, and, you know, basically they said, well, you backed out this. And the, the Hollywood was known for like, here, just write it on a napkin and go. Yeah. This changed everything. And to go back, it was the, you know, I, I pulled up the notes here because I wanted to, you know, really get this right. Um, it was the jury 
uh, it actually is cases in law review books now, okay? So the jury's initial decision caused a hiatus in Hollywood as it has long been practiced for stars, agents, and studios to seal agreements by handshake, by mobile phone, limo to limo fax, or by signatures on napkins over lunch. It also prompted Ms. Basinger, star of Batman and the Quake, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to file for bankruptcy and draw plans to sell her house artwork and belongings. Okay, so they sued her for $8.1 million. She was, they awarded that. Her net worth was $3.3 million at the time. Afterwards, they, they like renegotiated. They knocked it down to like 3.8 million. And like, it was like years later down the road, they settled for an undisclosed amount. But that was, that right there changed Hollywood oral agreements. Yeah, well, I remember, so, uh, when I was in high school, my family moved to Texas. And I remember one of the things that I learned moving to Texas was that uh, a handshake is legally binding. Uh, it's sort of a, a state driven by honor code. And apparently that's not unique to Texas. Uh, it's actual law as well that a handshake agreement, uh, an oral agreement does bind. I think the thing that's really frustrating is that Pat and uh, Chance have worked together long enough and in a high profile enough manner and in enough business that they should know better. Uh, personally, I've, I've been through a couple instances where I've, I, you know, I've either been on an oral agreement or a pretty lax contract that wasn't necessarily uh, what a lawyer would consider best in class. Uh, and I've learned that lesson personally. I, I've been cut out of deals. I've been nudged out of uh, teams. I've, you know. Um, uh, been axed on the first day of, of of possible termination after the contract fulfills its initial term. Like there, there are all kinds of things that even with a contract that you're not safe with. Um, but you're you're ever less safe if you just kind of like leave it to the oral or handshake side. I mean, emails help, precedents help. I mean, like I'm sure Chance was paying Pat. X percent, oh, those are like 15% uh, throughout the duration of their working together. And like, that's, that's going to inform some of the, how the suit proceeds. That's going to tell the court like, okay, you were paying him 15%. You know, you had to pay him 15% on these sort of things that you've paid him in the past. And then the, of course, the, 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 the chance the rapper side response is, well, Pat's been paid everything he's legally obligated to be paid, which of course, without a contract, how much are you actually legally obligated to be paid? I, you know, it, it, it's sort of a, a dubious question. It's sort of a, a, a loose consideration. I'm sure they're going to do some funky math. And especially with like, apparently, not only was it an oral agreement, but it's on net receipts. You know, it's a profit share deal as opposed to a gross commission, which is uh, the kind of thing you do when you're trying to convince somebody that you should be part of their team and you really want them to take a chance on you. And so you cut them that deal. Well, I've done that, too. Mostly with like artists and like, you know, people want to invest in their stuff and we're not too keen on, you know, cutting them out some kind of dividend or some kind of royalty. So we work into a profit share thing. And of course, artists are unprofitable until they're superstars. So there's a lot of things that you can allocate as expenses and then get away from having to consider profits. And so if, if it's 15% of profits and there's no profits, well, there you go. Pat's not do very much. He's due whatever the, what is it, $350,000, not $3 million. Uh, chances are, no pun intended, chances are that this is going to settle uh, at a court. It's gonna, not going to be $3 million. It's going to be something less than that, maybe 
north of 350, maybe an additional 350 on top of what he was already offered. You know, we'll see. But this is just such a shame. I mean, there's just like the the music industry is littered with scenarios like this. It's it's just such a shame that it happened with a duo that was so vaunted as sort of these um, young guns and 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 leaders of the vanguard of independent artists. Um, I, I wish it could be handled differently, but this is what happens when money gets big and people's posses get too big. And, you know, it, there's a lot of reasons that w- nobody's ever going to know in addition to all the ones that we do know. But I, I just, I'm interested to see how this plays out. We'll see if it actually creates any new precedent, uh, you know, in court, if it ever goes that way. My, my guess is that it, it won't make it that far. It's It's very interesting that... You know, it's with like the business. So where's the business manager in this? Okay. So when you don't have an agreement and you're the manager, I always looked at it. It's like, well, how, if, if money's going directly to, to chance the rapper, like who's monitoring this? How much are you owed? How much, because there are so many things that can go directly to the artist bypassing the manager. So there's that trust in there. And this goes back to, you know, like, well, Trent Reznor and his manager, you know, so that, you know, years ago, that was a, that was, I think he $5 million or something like that. So again, this isn't something new. It's, it's been, you know, whatever the, like managers have had some really exploitative deals, you know, let's go back to Elvis. Okay. Right. You know, it's like, like- <clears throat> so, but throughout the years, I mean, it's nothing new that to hear somebody, but now where's the auditing process? So, so when like an artist can audit their label in a sense, okay, now, I mean, then they have to pay out, you know, it's, it's, you know, going to cost some money, but they get to audit the label. Who gets to audit the auditor, the business manager, the manager, and the artist? Well, and, and, and that's one of the advantages of having a contract in my contracts as a manager, I always, always, always have a two-way audit clause. Uh, I want to make sure that when I work with an artist, especially while they're independent, that I can examine their uh, revenues. I won't say incomes because it's it's kind of two different things. But like if they're self-distributing through DistroKid or something else, I want to be able to open that DistroKid account or at least look at the downloaded CSVs. Uh, and and likewise, you know, if I'm collecting stuff on on the artist's behalf, either if I'm acting as a label for whatever reason, or if I'm acting as a business manager and controlling their QuickBooks. They should be able to see that. It's a matter of transparency, but that kind of stuff is enshrined in a contract. And uh, I'm, I'm currently you know, finishing out a two-year sunset uh, that was based in uh, a contract that I did with an artist that I, I uh, dropped two years ago. And yes, at the end of this sunset, I am going to do just a quick – it's like, mm-hmm. are we sure we got everything? Is there anything hiding in the couch cushions and under the rug? Can we – can we please exercise and take a quick look at the books just to make sure, but I trust y'all. And again, like this is an independently published artist. So like they're collecting their publishing revenue independently mm-hmm. and their business manager is doing a great job of, of accounting to me. But like, do I know if it's everything? No. So I'm going to check. Of course I am. Right. And, exactly. and like the sunset clause, you know, just briefly explain, because I know plenty of people sure. could be like tuning in. It's like, explain what the sunset clause is and how negotiable is that between manager and artist? Uh, it's entirely negotiable. Mm-hmm. And the fact that in this lawsuit, Pat's uh, counsel is like, oh, well, there's a three-year standard. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a three-year standard. That doesn't exist. Maybe there's a like a common, you know, comfortable period is three years. But I've got 
sunset clauses that are two years, like I mentioned. I got ones that are 10 years. Um, it's actually more classic, you know, kind of true to the uh, old school record business or old school publishing business. The old school management business is a perpetuity sunset. Uh, maybe the percentage wanes, but the way that it works is if you're getting 15 or 20 percent as a manager during the term of your uh, working with the artist, after the uh, artist fires you or you fire the artist or the relationship naturally comes apart, somebody retires in the case of U2's manager, for example, um, anything that was made during the term of that agreement, uh, typically records and songs written and stuff like that, but it could be merchandise, it could be things that anything that falls under a, a specified list uh, of, of commissionable goods then is commissioned at that rate or a specific rate over a specific period of time. Usually it's, you know, the same commission rate for X amount of time, a reduced rate for X amount of time, and a further reduced rate for even a little bit longer. Um, and, and it, you know, uh, it can really vary depending on the manager and on the artist. And even, you know, if you have a stock uh, sunset clause in an agreement that you like to use and you've used it in the past, as an artist is just going to say, no, nah, that's the you know, 10 years is not going to fly with me. Can we do five and can we scale it like this? It's a matter of negotiation. I just, I don't know how much, <laughs> frankly, uh, Pat, the manager, Pat Corcoran is going to get in his, uh, argument with, with Chance the Rapper about sunset when there's no contract that stipulates what time, how long, what scale on what properties, it just doesn't make sense to me that that's going to pay out. And if I were working for Chance the Rapper, I would say, mm, I get that it's maybe a decent thing to do, and I get that it's maybe a common thing to do, but you're certainly not obligated, and it's going to save you a lot of money if you don't. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to follow this one because it's certainly going to set a precedent. Once again, it's going to set a precedent because apparently – uh, artists and managers don't learn from past history. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks for that, Sam. All right. We now turn our focus uh, to Spotify because uh, what's a week without something in the news about Spotify? Music Business Worldwide reported that, according to a document published last week, Daniel X Company is seeking a patent for its, quote, plagiarism risk detector and interface technology, which pertains to, quote, methods systems, and computer program products for testing a lead sheet for plagiarism. In it, the filing states, Spotify's invention would allow for a lead sheet to be fed through the platform's plagiarism de detector, which would then, quote, having been trained on a plurality of pre-existing encoded lead sheets, immediately compare the composition in question to all other songs stored in its database. To share with his perspective, we check in with the Duke. What's up, Dave? What's up? What's up? What's the good um, word? Spotify. <laughs> I don't like. I don't like you, man. I, I'm not. I wasn't feeling it at all. Um, you know, there would never be. There will never be a Led Zeppelin uh, again if if such things like this should exist. Mm -hmm. um, somebody like Red Van Fleet, their whole career would end instantly because they're derivative in their energies. Um, maybe not in their melodies, but in their energies. And if you can. If you can sue and take away, you know, it's the Sam Smith thing where everybody's really afraid now, but it's like, if you can sue and take away for a snare sound or a melody that's similar or your eyeliner or your jacket, it's going to be very tough for anybody to have a career in any type of art because everything comes from somewhere, right? And so Spotify is just making it, the, the great phrase is uh, good artists borrow and great artists steal. There will be no more great artists. Because um, as an artist myself, I steal all the time. 
If I hear something that I like and I can make it better, I'm going to make it better. David Bowie's whole career was built on the fact that he took T-Rex and said, hey, man, you guys aren't doing it as good as you should. I'm going to take you. Iggy Pop, I'm going to take what you're doing. I'm going to make it better. And he made it better. And his whole career was awesome. So I, I really don't like this Spotify's technology thing to detect plagiarism. To me, it really just waters down um, originality because it makes you, it stops you from creating and it makes you think. And as an artist, thinking can be very destructive to the 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 vibrations that the universe is sending you in in the art. So let's if we can uh, remove our ego and really say, well, as great as we may think we are. Everything comes from somewhere, you know, and we're just vessels in this uh, short period of time, you know, small grains of sand and the vast beach of life. So we really just got to appreciate the time we have and um, the art that comes through us, not from us. And um, if, if there's going to be something that's going to make us think about art before we do it, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. You know what I mean? So, and, and so I really don't like this Spotify's AI technology. I grew up in a time, I mean, I'm still growing up, still young, but I grew up in a time of uh, selling out which obviously does not exist anymore. Everybody sold out. I sold out. You sold out. We all sold out. And it just is what it is. But if we sell ourselves out, if we sell the art out, then we're really being very destructive to our future, for our children. Uh, how do we uh, How do we create the structure for them? We say, well, daddy sold out and grandpa sold out. You might as well water yourself down until you don't even look like lemonade. You know what I'm saying? You just taste like tap water and just like everybody just be like but it's tap water with a little bit of sugar Ooh, we haven't had sugar in years and it's like wow man so i really don't like it um i think the sam smith tom petty thing was uh it was interesting but i don't think we should build a whole building on on top of that one situation i love it uh you know we were talking about managers and i remember when managing a band and they had a great song like i'm like this song is actually going to be this has a chance of being radio hit like this song was so good and they they were like they backed away from it and they rewrote the entire song and put in all these crazy weird distorted sounds because they said we don't want to be sellouts uh, I was like, wait, you've played the song live and you would text me from the road. Like we had all these people dancing to that song that you were like pushing. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great thing. You know, people liking your music. That's a good thing. And they're like, what they were in say, saying was, we don't want people to like our music. We, because we just want to do our thing. And it was like, so they were like, we would, we don't want to be sellouts. I'm like, having people like your music is not being a sellout. That's not being a sellout. People liking your music is great, but when yeah. you start making things for somebody else's agenda, yep. that's what being sellout was. Right. And, and you had all the grunge bands that say, well, I'll never sell my song to McDonald's. And now it's like, listen, if you put your song on YouTube, there's going to be a McDonald's ad on it. If you don't like it, don't put it on YouTube. And there's not going to be anybody in the music business that's not going to have their song on YouTube because it just doesn't make sense. So you got to understand the game. But at the same time, let's not dumb ourselves down by having these bots that say, yeah, man, this is a great song, but it sounds 90% like this other song. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you can't have your own song that you wrote. And you probably never even heard that other song in your life, but the technology says it and that's it. We're taking it yeah. down. And it's like, yeah. that's tough. Right on. So to get back to the Spotify, what, what, what I find is that I find a little disconcerting about this is basically if you have to put up a lead sheet or whatever, melody detection, we, I mean, all that stuff's out there already. But if I have a song, I have to upload this lead sheet and then somebody 
then they're going to compare it to all these other similar soundings. Now, what if I'm like, you know, a top artist, I'm going to go, I could, you know, the label, whatever, could sit, put in the lead sheet and then all of a sudden find all these unknown artists, these musicians that have never heard this song or something or, you know, vice versa. And like people can start saying, well, here, now we have a hit list that we can go after saying you stole our music. So if, you know, like I, we talked about Ariana Grande, it's like say some kid in their basement posted up their first Spotify track and all of a sudden like somebody else says, oh, you stole my song. It's like, well, the you know, plagiarism, you have to prove that they also heard, like there was a way that they heard the song to say like, they, yes, they stole it from you. So I look at this as like almost kind of like those um, trademark uh, squatters where they just trademark all these and patent all these different technologies and then wait for somebody to come up with something similar. And then they just fire and they go, we're suing you, we're suing you, we're suing you, we're suing you for coming up with something similar to what we patented 30 years ago that we're never intending to make. So I, I look at this as this could be one of those situations that people are saying like, all right, here's seven songs out there and we're gonna go after them. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. My last point will be uh, Bodak Yellow by Cardi B is the exact flow of Kodak Black. And her whole career was based off this one song and she didn't get sued. So it's, it's very dangerous. You're putting a lot of piranhas in the water and those type of piranhas, man, they're just waiting. They don't really have the talent, but if they got the technology, they'll sit there like they're watching the stock, stock market and they'll just wait and they'll say, hey, look, it looks green. Get them, sick them. And it's just that's just dangerous stuff for, for art for music. Yeah, I, I hear you. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. Always great to hear your perspective. All right. And that's going to be it for today. Uh, if you want to stick around and join the conversation after I roll the credits, we're still going to be hanging out in the live stream over on Twitch, YouTube. If you have some comments, some questions, you want to chat with the host or you want to talk about some other topics, hang out there for a while. And if you find this interesting, hit that subscribe button, ring the notification bell or whatever platform you're on, like, hearts, whatever it is. Uh, speaking of shows, we also have tomorrow doing the Wednesday Reaction Wednesdays where we cover what's going on in the news. Again, that's an open conversation. Thursday, we have New Thoughts with Stephanie Carlin and a special guest, uh, a DJ and producer. He goes by Daddy, and that's with the upside down A. That looks more like a V. Uh, real cool and uh, real good stuff about branding your Yourself. And you can also find us on musicindustrycity.com and on your preferred podcast player. Thank you again to my host, Sam Tall and the Duke. Have a rocking day. Peace.